0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy? I'm your host of Spotify and Apple, Jordy Bailey.
1: And I'm your host of podcast and fantasy, Duncan Nichol. I like the tempo. Rolls off the tongue.
0: Oh yeah, that's it. We gotta really just gotta... What we've discovered from this book, Duncan, more than anything else, is that it's that same metre of title. Children of Blood and Bone. Um, from blood and ash, kingdom of flesh and fire. We just gotta, we just gotta go into that. We were such idiots, name yourselves after a Queen song.
1: <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I'm actually now. If you said that, I'm like, yeah, actually, that that's it. It's that temper, that beautiful, or it's the X of Y and Z. And like, I even tried to Google it. I, exactly. I, I literally typed into Google one post like books titled X of Y and Z, and they're like books starting mm-hmm. with X. I'm like, no, no, you, you misunderstand me. <laughs> <laughs> um. And it's been going on for a while. Like, mm-hmm. A Song of Ice and Fire, it's like one of the earliest ones from the 90s that I can think of. I'm like, yeah. Boom, 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 mm-hmm. Um This very bum, bit, bum, we're bum, talking bum, about uh, Children of Blood and Bone today, but I twice yes. got it wrong in Google and looked up Daughters of Smoke and Bone, and the second time mm-hmm. I think it was Isle of Blood and Stone was the other one where I was like, yeah. what's it called? So... Yeah, it even rhymes. It's perfect. That could actually fit into, like, a a sonnet. I want to know what this book's sequels are going to be called. Like, is it going to keep the same kind of metrodome? uh, The next one's title is
0: just not as good. I I genuinely don't know what the third one will be called. It hasn't come out yet. The second book is called Children of Virtue and Vengeance. Children of Virtue and Vengeance, not Violence. I don't know. I quite like that. The VV. The thing is that it that title appears right at the end of his book. It's like in the final penultimate chapter. And I noticed that on the reread. It's like, oh, look, there's the sequel name because she like front loaded it. But there's no other children of blank and blank in this whole book. So I'm wondering what the, the third book is going to be called.
1: Hopefully, hope that, that will get that in the sequel. It it'll can be, it'll kind of be subtly um, woven in to the sequel book. Mm, and I like mm, a bit yeah. of alliteration. I used to have a, um, well, used to have, still have them. There's these omnibuses for Conan the Barbarian. Always bring it back to the, one of my favourite characters. And like the first three omnibuses were like Volume 1, Born on a Battlefield. Volume 2, I don't know, Thieves in the Night. City of Thieves. But then it got to like Volume 4 and it was like Mercenaries and Madness. And then Volume 5 was like Piracy and Passion. And then I think it was like, (laughs) <laughs> warlords and piracy in fashion actually sounds like you know a, a dirty book from 1990s <laughs> uh that is actually it's a good vibe i'm i mean oh, what's that's one other one. Oh, it's like oh witchcraft and warfare not nearly as good um no about that, that i mean I, I know what part of the comic
0: book you're talking about there and it's just it's just a worse part of the comic book
1: what the witchcraft one or the piracy one yeah
0: no piracy uh, was
1: worse i didn't I,
0: I Well, I skipped a whole bunch of piracy, so yeah, it probably was worse.
1: And we will one day do a much more in-depth review of the Dark Horse Conan run, but that is not today. I look forward to that. That would be awesome. I'll get you on the Marvel stuff first. But, Jordy, um before we jump nah. into Children of Blood and Bone, have you read anything else? Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. I haven't read anything
0: else. Uh, I read so many books in the lead-up to um, Warbreaker... Um, I guess I've read Band of Brothers. Um, that's the only thing I think I've read since then. Um, but no, just this one. What about you?
1: Wow, what have I read? See, I've actually half read about two other books. Um, so I don't really want to talk about them until I've actually completed them. Uh, I kept flicking. I started reading a um star another Star Wars, Light of the Jedi. Oh yeah, of um, course. <laughs> and I also was still on that Brandon Sanderson train. Oh, Geordie, I had a an embarrassing bit. Okay, I, I oh. said during our Warbreaker that I'd read uh, The Way of Kings. Yeah. I, I, I may have misrepresented that. I had read the giant thick book on my shelf called Way of Kings. And I must have known this at the time. Like, surely at the time I was well aware of this. But it just kind of got forgotten in the years since. But despite the fact that this volume is as thick as Warbreaker, I only read part one <laughs> of <laughs> The okay (laughs) so uh, so you still have the other half to go didn't end on a big cliffhanger did it i can't really remember i'll be honest it must have been
0: great sign you love it when that happens and you don't remember how a book ends
1: well yes i don't know other things must have come up and i was always intending to get back around to it so now i'm I'm like okay i want to actually finish this book make it so that was fact so but then because i couldn't quite remember i'm now having to kind of reread part one and you know, kinda do of that kind of flick through read where you're like, Okay, it's quite recent and you'll read a chat a bit of a star of a chapter and you're like, I know what's happening. So you'll flick forward a bit and you're like, Nope, lost again. So, I've had that. Um The only other thing that I've really uh i am not read recent not even read, experienced recently, uh that I really want to bring up. Geordie, yesterday the Barbie movie came out. Ah, have you done the full Barbieheimer experience? I sadly did not. What I did was the do a load of overtime in the week so I could leave I my see. job earlier and go to the three o'clock showing um, in a pink shirt. Oh, good. My partner got the official Barbie pink cup with a Tango ice blast inside, sat down in a cinema packed with wide age range i'm gonna say it was quite nice yeah there we go and uh yeah i i have to recommend it oh good i'm so glad to hear it theater going experience it's like the best i think it's the funnest time i've had like in a cinema since i don't know probably i gonna say the last star wars not the last star wars probably uh, probably the force awakens (laughs) I see, I see. Whenever yeah,
0: you know what? The Thurkswilkans was a good movie spirit, movie-going experience. A lot of
1: it, excitement in that one. Like, it was nice to be in a summer, and I don't know... I think this, this is a bit of a cultural divide, and often I'm not against this, but, like, there was a bit in the film where, like, people applauded, like, an end of kind of a, a bit of a speech, and normally I'm very much against that. I'm like, no, guys, silenced. Appreciate the art. Silently. But Wait, people were applauding
0: in the middle of a
1: movie? Yes. We were you in America? I know it was weird proper weird but yeah it engaged with people you know they were feeling it I found it a very funny movie probably more funny than a lot of people in the cinema actually the bits I was laughing at others were not <laughs> um, don't know if uh-huh. that was a concern um, but I was well, that's because you know all the Barbie in jokes oh, absolutely I am well versed but even for someone who didn't really grow up who was aware of the brand, but maybe wasn't as invested I in know as say like the Lego movie. I was like invested in the brand. I really enjoyed the, you know, the comedy and the plot. Uh, it really puts a spotlight on the ideas and the concepts. I think if anything, a little too much, some of the character stuff was a little bit, maybe less, um, but ultimately like the only real critique I have to the film is the fact that there were so many characters. I'm like, Oh, could we not sort a bit more of him? Like that's, and I think that's quite a good thing. I wanted more. Um, mm. I also found it quite funny because a lot of people going into it were like oh it's going to be like a turn your brain off movie and Oppenheimer's like the real thinking one mm-hmm. and I'll be honest I don't think that's the case I think Barbie had you know enough ideas and enough was attacking enough issues to a level that it could engage its target or you know the way the range of audience it, it wanted to a suitable level I think it did a good job of what it set out to do and I recommend it to all well, I'm very excited to hear that. I, I do plan on seeing Barbie,
0: and um, I don't know. Now I'm not sure. Should I go for the full Barbieheimer experience? For those listening in the future, the movie Oppenheimer by Christopher Nolan and Barbie have come out on the same day, and some people are doing double bills. Uh, now I'm not sure what to do. Maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't. Which one should I should start with, Duncan? Should I do Oppenheimer oh. Barbie or Barbie Oppenheimer?
1: I think this, this the stereotype is that you go Barbie Oppenheimer. Um, and to be fair, even when we like, got home, my partner and I like looked up a trailer to Oppenheimer because it wasn't super on our radar. And we were like, oh, actually, it's no more than a joke. I think it actually would work as like, <laughs> a nice progression. <laughs> Give it a go, mate. You go and do it. And then you tell me if it was the right call. That'll be in the next podcast episode, I guess. Now, Children of Blumbo. By the fantastic... Now, I really don't want to get this pronunciation wrong. Tommy um, Adeyemi. So thank you, Geordie, for saying it for me. Yes, but now, Tommy I Ade- actually, I, Adeyemi. I just realised that I,
0: what I wanted to do, I, I wanted to coach Duncan on pronunciation of character names before the start of the episode, but I think actually this time you've listened to the audiobook, right?
1: Um, I did indeed, and I'm so happy that I did. Yes. There is one like character I name not... in particular,
0: which is like just there's no correlation between how it's spelled and how it's pronounced because
1: the character of zane is pronounced there's a silent t it starts with a t you know i'm i'm very happy that and also what i find funny is that when i was listening to it i was sort of um i was imagining in my head what how i would write these names mm. and it was only mm. after i would finished the book that i kind of went and you know looked them up i went nope would not have gotten that no. Even Xaeli, uh, our protagonist, I'm mm-hmm. like, or oh, I would not have gotten the Xaeli. Z- w- it would have been like Zelie if I'd done this myself. Sure, I hear what you're saying. So,
0: All right. Uh, I'll briefly jump in and say a couple of years back, Children of Blood and Bone was a hot topic. People were saying this is a really good book. I was thinking like, okay, I'll jump in. I read it and I enjoyed it. And, you know, I think I was going in at a time when, you know, the second book hadn't come out. I think it came out like a couple of weeks after I finished the book. It was a hot topic. Duncan, you're coming in from a very different perspective. This is years later. uh, How many years? Like maybe six or so after this book was written. I I can't quite remember the
1: timeline. Duncan, how did you find it? So I really enjoyed this book. But mm. I do think it is worth noting, as you said, so I came into this book, not just removed from the timeline, just removed. This was blind. I had not heard of this book, Dordie, until mm. you literally said it at the end of the last episode. And I knew nothing about this book until I literally typed it in. Um, I used the BorrowBox app that connects to my local library. Until I typed it in there, I went, "Ah, oh, that is a plot, synops- well, not plot synopsis, a blurb. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool, great, let's go. So I knew nothing. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. It definitely, I felt, um, did kind of three sort of things I thought really, really well. I won't say it from the off. I think Mm -hmm. it got it sort of fun fantasy adventure Mm -hmm. was there. That was landed. It it gave me incredible Avatar The Last Airbender vibes. Yes. That's somewhat intentional. Um, And I really liked that. It gave me... Um, a really nice level of, though, kind of grit. Like, because yes. I was sort of in that Avatar gear, mm. when it went a little bit further, that extra step or that extra couple of steps, I really appreciated it. I was like, oh, no, you're giving a weight to some of these subject matters that you're sort of exploring through this fantasy work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final point is those subject matters it's exploring. Yes. Which, I was. <laughs> The book is it's, quite an on the nose direct in your face allegory, which is not a bad thing. I don't know, but it is an ob- a clear observation you can make. It is mm-hmm. not kind of hiding up this allegory. it's putting it right on the front and I think that's really because there's no confusion. you're not seeing there like two people cannot read this book, I hope not, and walk away with drastically different messages. The author has a message, and I think they've put it across clearly, but in a really fun entertaining package.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, um, I wrote many years ago, well, probably not many, some years ago, I read a, um, an interview with N.K. Jemisin, uh, the author of The Fifth Season and, um, and The City We Became, and, you know, she said, like, I'm a big believer in allegory. You know, I don't go in for Tolkien's idea that you should be ashamed of your book being an allegory. Um, my books are about real topics, and I'm not afraid
1: of people seeing what my books are about. I just find the concept of it not being about real topics. Like, can you imagine inventing a topic? I
0: mean, I would argue it's impossible. You know, you I, have I genuinely to... I don't think it is impossible. Yeah, I mean, like, it depends how you define you could... allegory. Like, for example, well, I mentioned yeah. Tolkien says, my books are not allegory. You know, you can't read of them as allegory. But I think that's mostly because he had a really strict idea about what an allegory is. Like, something is a one-to-one representation.
1: I like, don't want to argue with Tolkien about the definition is. of words. Like I do yes, think he was he quite was hot on that. But you're right, philologist. It's, let's if you put it in the context of say, oh, this book is about oppression as a or an oppression of a certain group of people. Then mm-hmm. it's like, well, is it an allegory for a very specific case in human history of that occurring, or does it just depict that as a concept? Is yeah, that kind and of that's line, a good question
0: actually, because you can sort of, in my opinion. I think I can, at various points in this book, say, okay, this is drawing inspiration from Jim Crow era America. This bit is drawing
1: inspiration from the modern day. And this is drawing inspiration from apartheid South Africa. I'm really looking forward for you to maybe explaining that in greater detail because I have to be very upfront with my ignorance. While I am obviously aware of a lot of these issues, I couldn't pick it apart quite to that level. I was like, okay, Hmm. I see what you're showing me, but I wouldn't be able to go, okay, what's the exact historical context behind this? Mm. Um, but that doesn't lose th- that wider alcohol. It's like, well, yeah, I very know sure. that yeah, you know, this is about oppression, and you were putting this across to me really well. So since we're talking about it now, let's jump
0: in, and I'm going to give a quick summary of what is Children of Blood and Bone. Children of Blood and Bone is the first book in a trilogy, written by Tommy Adeyemi, about... Uh, the land of Orisha. Orisha is a fantasy setting heavily inspired by West African mythology. Uh, so much so that I think the capital city of Orisha is Lagos, and the capital of Nigeria is Lagos. Right? I mean, maybe they're spelt differently in a book. Duncan and I both read the audio so I'm I can't I can't tell. But like the language the characters are speaking when they um they do custom magic spells is Yoruba. That's a real language. So it's extremely, you know, it's just a little bit different from our world. And the stuff that's different in it is the fact that you have magic users. You have a, a race of people called uh, diviners who can become magi, magic users. As Duncan has rightfully pointed out, there is a bit of inspiration from Avatar The Last Airbender since they sort of have, like, different magical clans who have different types of magic, for example, our main character is a reaper. She has magic associated with ghosts and death and spirits. And this book functions as an allegory because the magi at the start of the book are an oppressed people. They are a downtrodden, representative race of people standing in for black people in America. They higher-ups, the nobility... Are depicted as having lighter skin, for whilst there are no white people in the story, I think Adeyemi was like, I'm gonna make a deliberate choice here. You meet one person who's not from Mauritius, but he's like from some part of some vague part of Asia. But yeah. Um but they have lighter skin than um than their than the lower classes. And the story we go on is a story of social change and active revolution as magic begins to make its return, and the heroes of the story try to overthrow the racist imperial power
1: ruling over them. I think when you kind of you describe it like that, because that's not an inaccurate description at all, Dordy. I think you've okay. really nailed all the key points. But yeah, I normally I don't do the description- summaries. That's
0: normally Duncan's job. I'm, so I, I'm fingers crossed
1: that like he approves of what I've done. I do approve, but I think it's very interesting how you can describe it so accurately like that and about their journey to overthrow this sort of um, corrupt, impolistic system. But mm. when you're actually reading the book, for a huge chunk of this, I'm just on my magical MacGuffin plot.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a fair criticism of the book in that aspects of the book sort of... um. The, the, it goes in the direction of saying this is a book about social change and it's about a movement, but actually it is still like a YA fantasy adventure story and it's like, all right, you need to kill it all the different pieces of the magical artifact, you know? It's all like, I don't know, Wolf Brother. I remember that's a story where there's a big overarching plot. Oh, but you got to get all the, all
1: the bits and pieces. Oh, very much so. And I think that's kind of also why I got that kind of like Kiss cartoon i know you said a criticism i don't think i mean it quite as a criticism criticism well, is no, a i neutral do actually word,
0: but i oh okay here we go
1: maybe i do actually sorry because when you're dealing with this idea of like revolution and like changing ideas a big factor that and to be that, that might be explored in the sequels is the fact that there's not really in the real world a magical fix switch
0: that's true um,
1: whereas this kind of mcguffin plot kind of leads into that our hero and uh, goes out with its team of three and they need to gather three magical artifacts and mm-hmm. if they bring the artifacts together on the right day by the solstice because there's a ticking clock obviously adds the drama to it Then they can uh, yes, bring absolutely. back magic and and then there's this kind of element of like if we bring back magic to everyone so skipped over that in your description All the magi have lost their magical powers and that's yes, how absolutely. they've been able to be oppressed and a lot of it's about them regaining their sort of inherent abilities but they're like, oh yeah, we get our powers back, then we can fight back, and that's gonna solve the problem. And that's a really interesting point to make, and I do think the book's kind of aware of that. And I do think yes. it is something that will be taken forward in sequels. I get that vibe. I don't know. And Duncan, but I definitely I, get that I'm vibe. gonna jump in and I'm not gonna give away what happens in the next book, but
0: you're right to say that I think that the author is in conflict with that. Because she's very well aware that on one hand, yeah. If they bring magic back, they win. Like, there is no stopping them from winning. Nothing on earth could possibly prevent them from winning. Because the consequence of all the magi getting their powers back would be unbelievably impactful. They are so powerful individually. And they don't give you statistics in this book for how many... uh, like Magi, there are, but I'll, I'll give you a tiny spoiler from the first chapter of the next book, Duncan. It's about one eighth of the population.
1: So, wow, that's one eighth of the population. High.
0: Yeah, one eighth of the population is like now have superpowers and they are now going to be able to get their
1: own back on the people who've subjugated them for 13 years. I think that's roughly the time scale. I did lose it at points. Um,. I think our main character is 17 in this and they lost their powers about six. Yeah, that lines up roughly. Yeah, so it's like, well, we'll get our powers, we'll fight the oppressors. Um, And I like the fact that we kind of tiptoe back and forth. There's this excellent dynamic in this book. where So we've got our main character, Zayli, and her brother, Zayn. And then we've got the royal siblings.
0: That's right. Um, So you've
1: got some duality. We've got the princess, Amiran. Amari. Amari, thank you. I don't know why I'm confused. You're listening I listen to, the to the audiobook, book. man. Amari, yes, and um, Inan. Yeah, um, Inan is uh, Zuko. Now, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, maybe. Okay, so so they come from the other classes, and you have got Amari, who is trying to connect to like, well, you know, I need to help the oppressed people. I need yeah, to do She has this. a change
0: of heart. The start of her story is that. Her best friend, who is a Magi, is murdered by her father, who's the king of the country and like the biggest, not white supremacist, uh, Corsidan supremacist. Um, And to to, to set things right, she is the inciting instance. She gives them
1: the tools they need to bring back magic. And with these characters, we explore the element of it's not just the king. Yeah. Everyone else is adding to the system. So even though it's like, we'll get the powers back and we'll take down the corrupt king. It's like, and all the guards that went along with him. Exactly. And all the higher ups that are still going to be there. Like, yep. what are you going to do? You're yeah. going to just kill them or change their minds. And this is what I think quite nicely with um, Inan and Amari, because I believe we really get a sense of, uh, especially from Amari, she doesn't want to do the violence mm-hmm there's a big point for a lot of the book that when she was younger she was forced to fight Anan for her father to prove their strength to their father or whatever and she couldn't do it she yep. couldn't take up the sword and her big kind of moment her completion of her character arc is her finally taking up the sword to mm-hmm. fight for this injustice exactly and you're like wow that's I, I mentioned earlier about how like it, it goes a different way to like. Uh, I don't know why I keep not It was really in my head. I'm sorry. I don't know quite why. I don't think it's quite as prevalent as I'm making it out to seem. Um, but it definitely was in my mind a lot. And it's like, okay, she's now willing to do violence to overthrow injustice. And you're like, great. What now? Well, Edison, i Are we doing spoilers? What are we doing? Oh, well, I mean, we're doing spoilers for children. Blah blah blah. People, this is book club. You've got to read the book before you come. Or just come I mean, you don't okay. always oh, to read the book point. Mind. You got to read the book. Point at about the fifty percent mark of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> let's just go for it. Uh,
0: uh, no, let's do one thing about Inan. Explore his character a teeny bit, and then we'll into spoilers. Okay.
1: Okay, Inan, the prince. He is from the royalty, and he starts off the story. Duty before self is his mantra yes. that his father's <clears> put <throat> into him, and that constantly he's trying to fight. Is it his duty? Is it his honor? It's his duty. What's he going to do? And he constantly think... challenges and he constantly for this conflict and then we get this big reveal very early in the book that he has magical powers too. He's mm. one of them and he doesn't exactly. know what to do. He gets
0: District 9'd. That's where the, That's where the apartheid thing comes in. It's the District 9 thing. He becomes the thing he's supposed to be afraid of, Duncan. I like that film. It is a good film.
1: Direct allegories.
0: Yes. So, um, Inan is good is is a great foil for Zayli specifically. Zayli is in the mix right from the start. She doesn't have a choice about whether she's um uh whether she takes a side because this is her life. She is already an oppressed person. Inan is someone who has had all the privilege in his entire life, and for the first time, for the first time ever, he is the other. And this changes the way he has to see things, because now he has to start relating to the people that he's oppressed his whole life, or that he's benefited from the oppression of. It's a story, in some ways, of getting woke. It's about a young man who's been radicalized in one direction, being de-radicalized, and then given the chance to swap sides. And the conflict is, will he make that choice? Will he come to the right side?
1: and i love that, n- the use of that sorry George, like, because you just said you know becoming woke and i hadn't actually thought about it in that context i think that makes a wonderful parallel to the fact that anand's kind of power his magical power that he awakens is his literally so when you talk about woke, with like you know awake to the suffering of others yes and his literal power is to be able to like connect to other people and exactly feel what exactly. they feel
0: yes he's a connector he's not just a mind reader. Every time he hurts someone, from the point he gets his powers, he
1: feels their suffering. It's nice for that. It's it's a really good idea. Yes, I it really is. like it, and it's I really love that work with Anan. Um, and I really enjoy his conflict. I like the fact that he goes back and forth a lot. Mhm.
0: He's complicated. More complicated than I expect from a lot of like YA
1: novels. Sorry to be rude. I mean, genuinely to, though, to be more explicit. About I didn't know this. how I felt about him. In fact, that, I don't know how good. I feel about him at the end of the novel. I don't that, know if I want him to have uh, a comeback to the light, or if I actually just like, "No, guys, come on, just off him." Yeah, he's, he's like, like when is worth. it
0: too far? Exactly. I, it, I think that Anand is a really well written character and a great foil for the in the right shaky in like whether she's able to do it, but never really in doubt. Oh, I guess that might not be true. But for the most part, you're on Xaeli's side because you believe in what she believes, and Nana's character where you're not sure whether you can support him, where you support his redemption. I'll say one more thing about him, and then we're going to enter spoilers. Yes. What was I about to say, though? Oh, yes. So, <laughs> one of the named pieces of inspiration for the book who Tomi Adeyemi has said quite explicitly... I took inspiration for this. One of them was Avatar The Last Event. Uh, Avatar The Last Event. No surprise there. But the other one was, and Duncan, here's another basic bitch title. It's um, Ember in the Ashes. Da-da-da-da-da-da. And um, that, she said she was very inspired by, because that's also a book that's very much set in a non-Western setting. That one is like, uh, what where is is it specifically? Do you want to like start broad and narrow down which yeah what? well I mean, it is a Middle first. Eastern setting, but I forget which one specifically it is. It's like there's this there's, there's Jin in it, and there's like one side there's like the Roman Empire who's suppressing the other, and in that book you've got this character who's working for the other side, and he also like um Inan wears a mask, and a mask is a big part of his metaphor. Um, and the question is, is he gonna switch sides? And from chapter one, you know he's gonna swap sides. You know that he's not actually on the bad guy's side. Like, he's completely in conflict with it. There's never any doubt. So you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for him to swap sides, and eventually he does, and it's not emotionally complicated. This book does that same character arc much, much better. That was the last thing I had to say. I'm ready to start talking about spoilers, if you are. Let's go for it, and let's start on and Before on we then, do that, though, Duncan, spoilers. Oh, before gosh. we start spoilers, the it's thing like we have to do is... For people who are now about to dip out because they're not sure whether they should read Children of Blood and Bone, Duncan, can you tell me, do you recommend Children of Blood and Bone?
1: Yes, I do recommend Children of Blood and Bone to, I would say, particularly anyone of the YA fantasy persuasion, you should give this book a read in terms of how it's structured. I do think it's worth a try for everyone based on its themes, but I do appreciate there may be someone who will find the the actual structure of the book and so the quest element maybe isn't quite to their taste.
0: That's fair enough. I mean, I guess I'm in a similar camp. Like, I think if you have a low tolerance for YA books, um, th- that bit will probably rub you the wrong way. Um, and you probably are just looking for something more challenging, in which case, read N.K. Jemisin. Like, um, it's it's just, they're just more grown-up books. This is, um, this is one that's designed to be readable. I think that the author made a very deliberate choice. She wanted the message to get out there. She wanted a book that would reach a lot of people. She wanted people to pick up a book that would have a black girl on the cover, which is, like, we know statistically that's going to drive down sales. In that case, so she wrote a YA novel, and I think that was the right choice. And I think you should give it a go, but it might
1: not be for you. It might not be for you. So, Geordie. Yes, Spoilers. When did you start wanting Anand to switch sides? Was it after, before or after he burned a village to the ground and killed everyone there? Technically speaking, he didn't give the order to do that. That was the Admiral. But he facilitated it. He did facilitate it, and he is responsible for it. You're right, so did you? was it not until he murdered his other sister that you were like, yep, I'm rooting for Anand to switch sides? It wasn't his other sister, that was his... Um... Uh, his dad's secret lover. Okay, that that did actually get a bit confused to me on uh, on the audiobook. Uh, no listen, worries. guys, listening to things at two times speed is not always the best. Yeah, question. man, that's uh,
0: two times. Particularly speed, when driving.
1: Huh? Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Did you I just? Know, like, I think I knew You're it was very busy I feel, at I the think, office,
1: I guess. I think I I got into my head. It was his cousin at one point, and that just stuck. Mm. Uh, but i did realize something, well, i keep calling it the admiral i feel like that would be a weird reference anyway so when did you go into Anand? when you be like oh Anand's i want Anand to change sides or did you always well, want him to
0: i don't can actually to be honest i struggled whilst reading this book to try and remember a lot of my reaction to stuff when i first read it because i read it a fair few years ago and i was having uh i knew i was having a different experience this time reading it through Knowing where, what happens in the book and knowing what happens in the sequel. So to be honest, I can't really remember at what point I wanted Inan to switch sides. I was definitely pro him swapping sides, but I think more for like practical reasons. Like I was like, oh yes, it would be good for them to have the other crown prince on their side because then that'll just make their job easier. They'll make the mission easier.
1: I felt very similar. I felt a lot of the time with Anan. I was actually... I rooted for him to change sides because I was rooting for Xaeli to have that connection, that relationship with him. Oh, I need to gauge with that. Geordie. So there is a romance between Anan and our protagonist, Xaeli. Xaeli. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Ah, uh, no strong feelings, really. Right. I do have strong feelings and they're quite on the negative That's side. That's understandable. Now, I don't know... If this was, again, the speed I was reading it, but when it's first sort of reference that they have this sexual tension between them, yeah. my kind of gut reaction was, oh, are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> it's enemies to lovers, Duncan. And it then, sells really well. And then when he finally switches sides at one point and they have that moment together, mm. I was like, wow, we've, we've got to this bit really quickly. That's true, actually. And then... And and I was I was not okay. And then we got to the the switch back <laughs> when Naan betrays him, goes back he to the other side. And then I them. went ah oh, he doesn't help them much. Yeah, that's true. Um <laughs> when he switched back and I went, Okay, this is the point you wanted to get to. You wanted to have them come together, have the have the love, so you could then put them back on the other sides. I like, think I so. Like, this is what the setup is. I
0: think you're kind of right, that Duncan. That was my vibe. I think the point of the story is that, well, it ain't going to work, is it? Like, I think she thought it through and said, it just, it literally can't happen. It wouldn't make sense. So it doesn't happen. Now, that being said, Duncan. And that is... That being yeah. said. All that in mind. All that in mind. I
1: still prefer Zaley and Inan to Zaley and Rowan. <laughs> That's because Rowan isn't a character in this. No, he's such a fuckboy. boy. He's- He's just a collection of quips to essentially, I don't even know, set up after Man. Like, I don't, again, don't know the sequel, yeah. but if they're going to do a love triangle or who's the less of the two bad boys, I, I don't know. I, think um, I, don't, I don't need him. I didn't need Rowan. This book didn't need a Han to Solo. To be part of this plot. Well, have Zane be more of a Han Solo. Nah, type. Zane's fine. I like
0: Zane.
1: I like Zane. <laughs> I don't have much to say about him, but Zane, I like him. I love Zane. I like the fact that they he's described, like, right at the beginning, Zane is Zayde's sis, sister, Zayde's sister, yeah. brother. And he's described right at the beginning, he's like, he was popular with everyone, he was muscular, he was naturally heroic. I'm like, I'm glad we've got Zane. <laughs> you just felt better um, knowing he was around. Just felt better knowing he was around. I was like excellent so you're sucker (laughs) yeah i mean you can be kind of yeah zellies are ang ah amara's come over she can be guitar. we have got the gang we even have a cute animal riding yes yes. i like the animals in this amazing um their names are how did you depict them like can you describe these animals to me because i'm not sure what i imagine is what they're meant to be so i really like the fact that in this book
0: there are no horses the beasts of burden ever rise are big cats, and I mean big cats. Um, the boat they ride in the end is described as being only a couple of meters longer than Nyla, the big lion. Lioner, the names suck. Like, there's just the normal name and then an ER at the end most of the time, or an L at the end. Uh, I don't like that. But she, she must be like five meters long. I think like four or five minutes long. Three people can ride on her, no problem, and she has horns.
1: She has horns. I imagine this as like antlers, but I also imagine this as like she has like multiple antlers like up her back. What? Don't know if that was just me adding details. Ah, I think yours is yeah. a bit overdesigned, to be honest. I think that's not getting past a concept art stage. Oh, mine is like full on. This is a mount that you buy as DLC in like an <sighs> MMO. Sure, like in a King in a Mountain. That is my image. Uh,
0: Breath of the Wild. Y- yes,
1: whatever that means. <laughs> <is. laughs> okay,
0: and um, the pa- the panthera, which the Royal Guard ride, they have saber-toothed teeth. Like, that's mentioned once, and I caught that this time. I didn't get that last time.
1: Not really used, is it? No, no, but I like the fact they do ride cats.
0: I think that's really cool. I Like, that's one of my favourite parts of the weird fantasy setting. Like, there's parts of the setting I find a bit odd in terms of, like, the level of technology. I never quite understood what was going on. A bit like Avatar The Last
1: Airbender. It was a mixed but, bag of places. There was definitely an element... Just going back yeah. to the... Um, like, there's a ship at the end, which is powered by... Is it not wind-powered? But it has turbines? It It, it is wind-powered,
0: and it has wind-powered turbines. So, like, wind goes in, and then I guess it blows a fan, which powers the boats. Well, yeah. Which just sounds like
1: a sail with extra steps technically what you could do so if you had a setup where you had a um oh boy. so you got wind turbines that could um you could actually redirect it and if that had like a nine degrees gearbox uh chain nine degrees gearbox you could then have that going out to like more like a paddle boat at the back so then you could technically move to, no matter what direction the wind was in because you could just rotate what direction your uh, wind turbine was yeah. pointing that would be my design but that's mechanical engineering and me getting very excited <laughs>
0: No, no, Duncan. Actually, I appreciate that. That was that was insightful. All right, you, you, you and the author—you've teamed up. You've defeated me. Well done. Um, one thing that I cannot allow in this story is the number of collapsible weapons. There are some things when I read fantasy novels which just get my gears. Normally, I don't mention them on the podcast because they are so pedantic. It doesn't matter. Like studded leather armor. Not real. I don't like the fact that people keep putting stud lever arm in their books. Most people don't know how to write about using a bow and arrow. They just don't get it. Even The Black Tongue Thief, a book we both liked. Bad archery scenes. I love archery, so I know about this bullshit. Um, I don't. I can't stand collapsible weapons. They aren't real and they don't work. Zayli has a collapsible staff. And Mari has something even worse. She has a collapsible sword.
1: Oh, that's impossible. It just wouldn't work. It would break so easily. Like, is it like joints? Does it like flick out like each section? How long
0: is the handle? How long is the handle? Like, is the handle the same length as the blade? Where's it going?
1: Like Like, it all just flips out.
0: Yeah. But a switchblade is a knife because the handle is long and it's the same length. Well, it has to be. It's the same length as the blade. So the blade just
1: goes inside the handle. So how long is the handle on the sword? Have you ever seen, I don't think the name, of the film Highlander?
0: Yeah, and it's detachable. That is... Yeah, it's like you snap it together. Exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, but about. the guy Same has to get about. out. Oh, exactly. It's like he
1: like, gets out in his hotel room and has to like connect his sword together. And I think he even has to like put bolts <laughs> in. I'm like, that's such a weakness. Surely the moment you come across like an, a normal sword, yours is just going to break at the detaching points?
0: Also, I think Amari's blade is a gravity blade. Like, It's supposed to... You swing it, and then in swinging it, a blade comes out, which works for a knife because... You just do a simple cutting action. But with a sword, doesn't that mean that if you, like, block in an upright position, the sword's just going to collapse back into itself and go back
1: and not be a sword anymore? Is it jutting out, like, directly from the handle? Or is it, like, swinging out? Do you have to keep your hand clear on one edge? That's a good question. And if it's... I think it's just collapsible, like a pole. So what's that mechanism involved? Or, like, does it, like, you... There's got to be, like, a... Big spring, right? Well, it's either it's a big spring, or it's like as, it's sen- as you like swing it out, centrifugal force, centripetal force like draws it out, and then when it reaches its maximum extension, yeah, that's the gravity blade. But if that's the case, then when you like block, it would just fall back. It must have in. like a like sometimes you get on like your car keys. Once it goes like fully, you you know when they like it swings in and out. Once it's like fully, I'm to use the word, erect, um Like a spring comes in and like locks yep. in place. But then you. Uh... Yeah,
0: when it's erect and girthy and strong. Right. But then that means that there's just like a pin holding it in place, and that means that if you swing your sword too hard and you break that pin, you break your entire sword.
1: Also, don't swords. This is why this is a pet peeve The Swords have to have like a, a piece that actually goes. So, norm, most normal swords. I'm not an X on the field. You have like the blade, and then there's like a, a thin bit at the end that goes all the way through your handle. Yeah, it's got a, a tang. T- yeah so that because you want the force to be distributed along the entire base of the blade when it that moment Yeah, because otherwise if it's just connected at that the hilt like it just slots in there it will
0: break super easily that's why toy toys swords break a lot because they don't have tangs um like the a whole like literally this is I don't want to plug a story I haven't even written yet, but in a novel I write, there is a broken sword, like Narsil, and the fact that it's, like, two parts of a broken sword means that it has to attach at the hilt. So it breaks all the time, because it's not functionally sound as a sword. Hey, anyway, like...
1: Small... We talked small a lot. I think we
0: actually may have talked more about collapsible swords than we have talked about the Black Lives Matter movement so far in this podcast, and that's kind of unforgivable
1: given the book. So far... There's just some stuff in this book which just just gets my goat a little but, bit. I think that's played into other elements. Like there was a there's a big scene where they're in a desert and there's a coliseum style floating boat arena where they like flood it full of water, and you're just like, I feel like this was an episode of Avatar. This is just silly enough that. Or, like, Mad Max, Fury Road. Like, I liked that scene because it's the
0: indulgence, you know? It's like, oh, there is water, but they aren't giving it to the people on purpose,
1: you know? So, that that's a metaphor. That works. It's about opulence. I suppose so. All right, all right, all right. I'll give that one in. So, some interesting world building, but the same point you made. Oh, no, one more thing. This is unforgivable.
0: A bunch of people in this book, so they don't have clocks. They have wind powered turbines, but they don't have clocks. Apparently, that's too advanced. So, they have neck worn hourglasses.
1: We all know that's stupid, right? I mean, yeah. You'd have to line it up every time. Yeah. And to line it up, you'd have to exactly. know exactly. And every
0: time you walk, like it bounces, so the sand doesn't go through at an equal rate, so it's useless. I can't believe that anyone would be like,
1: yeah, I think the reader's going to buy this, you know. But also, does that mean that, like, every... You know that every three hours you have to remember on the moment to turn it over?
0: Yeah, because it, it can't do... And, like, it's no way it's an hour. Hourglasses are quite big. It means it's, like, a couple of minutes, so it has to be very precise. Unless it's a very small hole. Only
1: one grain very can small. fit through at a time.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a quantum hourglass, you know. It's actually filtering through atoms.
1: It could, know. It's, it's, it's super a, cool to make it sure it's really... Anyway, it's an idea. That. It, it, gets, it just lets us then know when they're like, guys, we've only got... It never even comes up. I don't think there's a single scene in this where the fact that they have them actually helps. There's
0: one scene. There's one scene when they're doing the rescue and they look at, a, at the hourglass.
1: Yeah. All right. Just use the moon, guys. Well, much easier. Like, there's nothing in this book. Yeah, in my life I can't just be like... In the last book I finished,
0: there's a scene when he needs to do something like... Over a very precise period of time, so a carriage said, Alright,
1: you count to one thousand and that's what how they have to do over time. It sucks because they don't have watches. Have you ever counted to one thousand like and had to, and trying actually to keep pace? No God no This isn't you can't do it because as the numbers get higher, it takes longer to say them and you get out of breath. Unless you do it mentally. <laughs> you don't have to say them out loud. I think you do them. if you can't do it mentally, because you you'll naturally speed up or even <laughs> skip over numbers yeah you know
0: maybe you should be like sing of this a specific song like under your breath
1: a song you know is exactly five minutes long i'm gonna throw this out here just because i, I watched it very recently uh, i watched an episode of the uk tv show taskmaster where they get a bunch of comedians mm. to do ridiculous activities and one of them was in exactly like 20 minutes go and i don't know pop the toast out of this toaster and they had a comedian on there who was like, that's fine, because I know my set is exactly 20 minutes long. So they just start <laughs> setting their set. And they won the thing. Everyone else was that's, messing about, because they had like big times so left good. around the house. And they were like, okay, I'll try and work it out. And they were just like, nah, I know it.
0: <laughs> that's so funny. I really got to
1: watch Taskmaster. All right, so <laughs> Children Blood and bow. Children of Blood and Bone has some really nice elements. There's still so much cool stuff going on and some wonderful character work as well, which I think needs to be explored more. Let's talk about some of the good world building. Let's talk about magic. I really enjoyed the magic in this book. Sorry, I, I just have to like get that out. Like I enjoyed it. It's kind of soft, but it was cool. It was ideas and approaches to magic and magical powers that I haven't actually seen a lot of. This wasn't just throwing fireballs or mastering the elements There was some kind of creepy stuff in here and I loved it. So back to you, Geordie. Oh,
0: Oh, no, please go ahead, Duncan, because my response was like, I like it. It's, it's very simple from my point of view. And I was about to say it's nothing I haven't seen before. So I'm really interested to see what, what about it really spoke to you.
1: Okay. So this magic system is quite soft and there's that kind of strong avatar parallels we're talking about you know the soul clans it's sort of inherited or they're not quite exactly inherited but what i found really interesting is the actual specific powers we have xaeli is a reaper which means that she has like the powers of the dead but because it's quite soft i feel like there's always this kind of potential i never knew quite what she's going to do uh we see early on she kind of summons up i'm going to describe like shades Mm. D&D shadows. Sure. Uh, but then at the end, we get descriptions of these like sh- dark arrows being fired out. Yeah, she and then like completely cons- consuming like Dragon Ball Z shit. bodies. It's really neat. And we don't really talk about much of the other clans. I know we touch on that. Actually we've got Duncan, now that con- I think about it,
0: maybe we should like play a little game. Like, why don't we okay. see how many of the magic clans you and I can remember? Like try and remember what they do, what their powers are. And then I'll check a list to see how well we did.
1: Oh, I'm going to be so bad at this. Okay, because I can remember...
0: I think we'll be okay.
1: Okay, let's... Okay, you've got the list. You go I'll first. Go. So... I don't have the list. I will be cheating. But I'll look up it up afterwards. Zali, Reaper. Control yes. the dead.
0: Yep, and then we got... Inan is a connector. He can read minds and control people. Um, We
1: have... um. Old lady who's a seer. See the future. And then we have some of the ones who don't show up
0: as much. We have burners. Firebenders. The scary ones.
1: We have healers. They heal people.
0: And also cancers. Who are the opposite. They make people sick. But it wasn't clear to me whether healers and cancers are like two sides of the same coin. I think they have like the same god. But I wasn't sure if you are both a healer and a cancer,
1: or if you are one or the other. It seems a bit interesting that you would have the power to like create disease, and not the power to like take a disease away.
0: Yeah, that—that that that seems
1: really mean.
0: To be fair, some of these people must be like, "Oh fuck, I don't want to be this." Like, that blows. I mean, being a cancer sucks. One of them apparently was super helpful because they made someone go bald, and that saved her life. But, like, what benefit are you to society if you just make people ill? Pest control? I feel like the others are going to do that fine without you. The Burners and the... Oh, who else, Duncan?
1: Okay, now I'm struggling. What else do we have? Think about Avatar, Duncan. Think about Avatar. The
0: water vendors? Yeah, what are they called? I don't know. They're tiders, don't come. Tiders Everything ends with an ER, including cancer, which feels like cheating. There's also and this is the worst named one. Winders. Come on. You couldn't think of anything
1: else? What about galers? I know why they're not called blowers. That's obvious. <laughs> um winders. I do fair, I was thinking about that. I thought I think it's in Wheel of Time. There's a very specific element of, oh, we want to have one of these magic users on board because then they can summon up, summon up a good wind and you can always travel faster if you've got a magic user on board. Also it's in uh, Wizard of Versa, like that's a major element in that book, much less obscure. Can you think of anything else, I, Duncan? I can think of, oh, three more. That's wickedly impressive. Um I I'd no idea. So we've got Winders, Earthers, Grounders. Yeah, I think they're
0: Grounders. Yeah, you got it, you got it, Grounders. And their connected part, I think likewise share a god as welders. Decent name, decent name. They control metal, they can melt metal. So, sorry. There's one yeah, more you, got you one never more. actually see in the book. You mention that someone has this power but never use it. It's Tamers.
1: Oh, what, for? like animal handling? Yeah,
0: but, but you never see it happen. I don't think it even happens in the sequel. All right, we got Reaper, okay. Connector.
1: Oh, these guys all have
0: symbols. That's nice. I didn't know that. Burner, Winder, Grounder, and Welder, the
1: magics of iron and earth. Oh, lighters. They're the opposite of Reapers, or do they just make light? Well, they just make lights. you know. Um... Can you imagine? Because, like, Grounders, Tiders, and like Winders and Welders in particular, you think like they'd be, like, really key parts of, like, the functioning of this society. One thing I, I really like in is how you know like industry is built on the fact that they have these magical people especially legend of Korra. great i always love the little there's a little scene where the guy's like i'm gonna get a few shifts down at the power plant and he's like Mm. lightning bending into a generator yeah I'm like yeah well really neat idea so i'm actually thinking like well how much of your side if there's eight an eighth of your population could do these powers surely they'd be integral like why would you need like normal blacksmiths yeah, well, why would well, well, well yeah, imagine
0: that, imagine you turn off magic like King Saran did and now everyone who was good at working with metal is no longer able to work with metal, like surely that would shut down like the technology in that country for like decades, like you just have so few people who are now trained in doing this skill you have to import so much
1: maybe that's why they made such weird weapon choices go she on just didn't have the experience anymore
0: with her oh that right, was collapsible
1: weapons <laughs> yeah
0: maybe all the weapons yeah. were really bad because no one was gonna make you weapons anymore it's
1: perfect uh, world building it makes sense never, well never
0: fails good job uh, Adeyemi now um, like, like you said it's fun like it's nice there's something really just like enjoyable about the magic itself the fact that they have these different powers and like it's sort of like, you know, ooh, which one would I be? Like that whole, uh, the classic YA thing of like you divide them up and uh, everyone likes to think about which earthbender, whether it be an earthbender or a waterbender? And this is the same. And now there's 10 options instead of four.
1: Which is really nice. I think the fact that our main character is the Reaper just gives so many kind of more elements. I think that made it more exciting. I think if our main character had been a winder, it, yeah. it would have been too much like Avatar, I could not cope. But it wouldn't have be been nearly as fun. I like the and fact it that Xavi has that edge in her powers.
0: It also stands out because, like, even in the broader range of fantasy, there aren't a lot of necromancers who are, like, the hero of your story.
1: And that's essentially what she is. She's obviously not bringing the dead back to life, but she's channeling ghosts. And Listen, Jordy, I just think... That- necromancer yeah there's a lot of like negative connotations i think we should all take a page out of pratchett's book and refer to them as post-mortem communication servicemen
0: well she's called a reaper and you know in my book when i think about reapers i think about bleach and i love bleach so there you go but uh, but, I, but i but i but i think it's actually good in the fact that zaley is like a character you wouldn't normally see because this book is trying to have a unique perspective on death it's a she is powerful because she has a connection to her ancestral spirits she reaches out she is a she is a um a psychopomp she channels people to the other side but she can also call upon like knowledge and powers of the ancient past in a way a book about a woman gaining her power by connecting to her heritage that's what the magic is it's her heritage she's the best example of that possible. It's literally about her reaching back to the knowledge of the ancients. Like it's, yeah, good choice. Good choice in in, in making that a theme for your main character. That's, that's smart.
1: I think it's really nice. In fact, Zaylee in general, I don't think we've talked about her enough. I actually do really enjoy kind of spending time with her. And quite often, because she often makes decisions that I as a reader was getting frustrated with, mm. particularly when it came to like, fighting back, making a scene, making certain stands at times, she's like, this is not the moment, Zaley. No, 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 Zaley, 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 the guards are there, please, just... Sure. But I never, at any point, didn't think she was doing something that made perfect sense for Zaley as a character. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. Zaley is a character who has a outrageously different perspective from you and I, Duncan. Um, Something I had to keep reminding myself when I read the sequel. A <laughs> bit of foreshadowing there. Um... Yeah, and uh, that's right. I think there is a very important sort of theme in this book about, like, Zaley is the product of her time and her experiences. And you're watching as the book plays out her struggle with making these big decisions about what's going to come next. Xaeli has this interesting um, decision she has to make at a certain point in this book where she sees things from Inam's perspective. She sees things from the pragmatic perspective when all the Magi get their powers back, it's going to be an insane shift in the power dynamic, and it's going to get people killed. And she's not even just thinking about her own people, she's thinking about her oppressors, and the fact that there could be a wanton slaughter when the Burners get their powers back.
1: I mean, it's a question that I really do want to actually see how is explored and answered. Yeah. Because I think Anan, the character Anan really puts forth a very strong argument when he sees the Burner. This is really hard to see when Anand switches sides. Yeah. I know where you're going to about go, but let me just explain the situation. One of the burners is the firebenders of this world. Anand sees level a platoon of men. I don't know, 30 plus. And this is the moment where Anand really just gets this stuck in his head. And he's like, I can't have this. Like, how many people will die if members of the press who who have been oppressed, who are probably not in the best moods, are suddenly going to get the power to wipe out a battalion. And What's going to happen?
0: Yeah, this is where we have to think about the allegory, right? Because there is a very, very clear line. In fact, Tomi Erigemi says it in the author's note. This book is about the Black Lives Matter movement. I was inspired to write this book because I saw children being killed by the police. And I felt like I had to write this story. A story in which we see actual children getting killed by the guards. But the thing is, the magi are dangerous. They are so dangerous.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of an X Men situation. Yeah. <laughs> X Men. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the X Men, as they're well known. The X Men um, is 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 you know they actually do have powers, and some of them are dangerous. And if yeah. you don't have a of controls the, in place, <laughs> Cyclops is dangerous.
0: Maybe Cyclops should have some limited rights. If he sneezes, he drops his glasses. People are going to die. Not a good allegory the mutants are not a good allegory for a repressed class because they are literally very dangerous.
1: Um, there is something legitimate there to fear. And I yeah. think that's right. There is a point though, which I would say in this book is that the diviners are only being oppressed once they lose their powers. Cause when for the majority of this book, they don't have magical powers and they are actually harmless.
0: Now, this is something which it actually took me rereading this book to realize. And so I think I need to lay out a chronology a little bit in this book. Because I think it is deliberately quite confusing. So, in the ancient past, all Orishans had magic. The gods created them, and everyone had magic. But at a certain point, the gods were like, actually, not everyone should have magic, that's too much. Only a select portion of a population is going to have magic. And then it's clear... um, that's the difference between the diviners, the magi, and the Corsidans, The regular people who don't have magical powers. They distinct, you can tell the difference. Magi have white hair, or diviners have white hair, Corsidan don't. At a certain point in their history, the magi were in charge. Because they had extra special powers, they are literally gifted from the gods. They're better than the, the populace. They are in charge. They have their own supremacy. At that point, the king of Orisha is a Magi. But at a certain point in history, for some reason, potentially the whim of the gods, the the, the royal house in charge of Orisha, Saran's ancestors, lose their magic. They become regular Corsidan people. And at some point after that, the royal family starts to oppress the Magi. Now, this is important to note, Duncan, they actually are being oppressed before they lose their magic. In the days of Saran's father, Inan and Amari's grandfather, we look back and at the end of the book, Saran tells Inan this story about how they were considering giving more rights to the Magi. When an insurgent group of Magi rose up and killed the royal family, everyone except Saran. He's the only one who survived. Now, we only hear about this from Saran, the big bad, the most racist man in the story. So we can understand that probably some details of this are not being given to us faithfully. But what we have to understand is that, yeah, the oppression was before they lost their magic. They were already an oppressed minority, despite all the magic they had. And it was a small group of insurgents who killed Saran's family.
1: Okay. I, I do think that does change elements. It also puts into highlight the idea of Zaidi's quest. Or once we get our magic back, the oppression will go away, or we'll be able to fight off the oppression. I'm like, had your magic before then, but that that doesn't. That's not the end, or that doesn't get rid of the oppression or the inequalities in society. You having magic, yeah, you have to overhaul the system.
0: And I think it. I, I do think the book does a good job of making it clear that Zayli is aware that it won't be that easy, and it will be complicated. Uh, but it's step one. It's step. It's a pretty important step. Now, so Duncan, I want to jump right to the very end of the book, and I'm really interested in your perspective on this. At the end of the book, they complete the ritual. Zayli passes out. She meets her mother briefly in the afterlife. She goes back. She comes back to life. Well, she probably didn't die, but she comes back to the cognizant world. And I want you to briefly take us through what happens in the, the very brief epilogue. And I want you to unpack what you think this means for the following book.
1: Okay, so we've had our scene. There's a quest to do a ritual to give everyone their magic back. Because at the moment, only those who have touched certain magical items can have magical powers in this book. But they're going to give it back to the whole population. That's the goal. And in the last scene... Zayli has communed with her mother in the afterlife, and she's come back. She's in her body again. She opens her eyes. Her brother's there, Zayn. And Imara's there. She has this, that, that first bit of, like, did we do it? And then Imara... Imari.
0: You Imira, just said Imari,
1: it, man. I'm so sorry. I got, like, <laughs> unconfident in my own words. Imari. No, oh, my gosh.
0: You said, yeah, it's Imari. Yeah, Imari.
1: It. Yeah. Amari uses magic like black flame flicks from her hands or something along those lines and then white end. light yeah white light aren't oh, you the lighter
0: yeah she's light just like a totally not girlfriend
1: oh yeah anyway <laughs> uh and then that's it that's the end of the book so what can this be now i think there's really kind of three ways this could go yeah number one is all about reconnecting to the gods and giving powers back to everyone the gods bless so it could have just this could actually be a yeah everyone the gods bless. this is a reset to the beginning to everyone has magic the other twist is you could maybe this is because um Xaeli didn't know the exact incantation or exactly how to do the ritual she's like giving magic to everyone else <laughs> but the diviners <laughs> which would <was laughs> be a, a very twist. interesting twist well it would that, I'm not going to that would be an interesting because on one hand you'd be like oh well now now they have more power to oppress them but at the I same time the- they <laughs> then have the very power that they've been oppressing them because of maybe this is a story about because they were the the faithful or they were the ones that turned their backs on the oppressive system the gods have rewarded basically everyone who decided to take up the course mm-hmm. and that's the the kind of designation. One of those three options I think could be a way to take it forward. Mm. I'm gonna say maybe the first one. Like they've re- they properly reset the clock to everyone has magic now. Mm. Is he gonna tell me what happens in the sequel or nah. is he just gonna let me spit ball? Read book. Alright, <sighs> so
0: you gotta be like everyone else, just like me. I had to wait a couple of weeks before reading the second book. Now, uh, to revisit the topic of the allegory and whether or not it works, I grapple with this for a long time. And my perspective on it is different in this book than it is in its sequel. But of course, I'm only going to talk about my perspective on it in this book. And in this book, what I realized is this is a fantasy story. This is a story about A particular fantasy. And that fantasy is... Having the power to make a difference. Isn't that what so many fantasy stories are about? And this is a story... About being able... To overturn society. Being able to have the power... To make the powers that be... Feel afraid of you. And feel like they have to change... Because of you. So... In saying much like the X-Men, and it's not actually a very good allegory for oppressed minorities, I think it is kind of just going for something else. Like, and the book grapples with it. Inan is afraid because they're powerful. Even Xaeli is kind of afraid at a certain point. But ultimately, what is the alternative that these characters have? Because either they stand up or they lie down. It's a Boolean function. And obviously, the right choice is to stand up. Whatever comes next, whatever comes next, it's the right choice. And I think we're in there, making, seeing that decision played out.
1: I strongly agree, particularly on that point of, this is a fantasy, this is a book to be read to... It's an expression of how someone felt as a response Mm -hmm. to what was happening at the time. Exactly. And that expression is, I wish that there, we could just have the power to make a difference. And Exactly, yes. I feel that so much, even from my perspective, like whenever I read fantasy, I start to read fantasy, you read a chosen one narrative. It's because you sit there and you read, I wish I was important just for being me. Mm. And exactly. and It's a different fantasy, but it's still something that I can see and I can understand. I'm like, I get, I get it. Or at least I hope mm-hmm. I get it. Or at least I get it as well as this book has put it across to me. And the thing, the thing about this book is that in the author's note, this is very surprising to me because on
0: one hand, the fantasy of this book isn't for you and me, Duncan. Like, we're not, we're not African-American, for one thing. We're not black. We're both white. Um, we don't have the same struggles as Xaeli or anyone who relates to the themes going on in this book. We can only relate more to Amari than anyone else. Amari is an ally. That's her character arc in this book, is learning how to be a good ally. To the um, to the, uh, to the events of the book, but the author's note surprised me for the first time I read it because in some ways she is writing it for you and me. She is writing a book to say, in reading this, if you felt sad, if you cried for the character of Zoo who dies murdered by the stand-in for the police, then cry for Tamir Rice. You know. So in some ways, this book has two messages going on. One being, I'm writing this book for you, someone who feels powerless. And I'm also writing another part of this
1: book for you who might just be able to open their heart a little bit more. I'm just sorry, I'm having a moment because because it, it's a really nice theme and this book really did put it across. And I'm really happy you picked this book, Geordie, because it wasn't oh on my mind it i wasn't aware mm. of this book i wasn't actively currently engaging with these issues they're not on my news channels at the moment here sure. in england so I'm really i glad mean to have this read this book came out in me.
0: 2018 man a lot of like the black lives matter movement is still going and nothing has changed periods they got a different president but the, the shit is still going on cops are still murdering black men left and right so i'm happy like in between in between book two and three of this book coming out that's when the george george floyd protest happened
1: i'd be mean, interested to see you know if we then see more of those influences in the future books or at the least, whether or not this is going to continue along the more traditional fantasy quest or are we going to get these sort of more gaps or more engagement with the allegory i think that's the thing that I'm really kind of fascinated by is I do think we've got these two kind of this more traditional YA fantasy quest going on and these strong Mm. allegories. I enjoyed the YA fantasy quest. I think it was done well. The fact that it was reminding me of Avatar, which in my opinion is very much top tier when it comes to young adult fantasy quests fiction.
0: Yeah. But I mean, the the end of Avatar is about, you just got to be, Defeat the bad guy. When you defeat the bad guy and the right person gets put in charge, everything gets set right. And in the language of this book, that's Amari. At the end of this book, she has murdered her father. She is the only eligible heir to the throne. So she has to become a queen. And by putting her on a throne, everything will be set right. Right? Well, yes, obviously. Gosh, I can't believe Obviously. they're doing three books That's and how not just works, one more. That's Duncan. That's what happens when you get a good president of the United States and then everything's right, you know? You just need to change the colours in the office and hey-ho, police violence stopped. Wait, what? That didn't happen? But That's so weird, but, 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 but they replaced the man in charge, so why, why didn't anyone do anything about the endemic problem of police corruption? What? They didn't do anything!
1: Once again, I'm really excited to see how these things are explored through the future books.
0: Duncan, that is a very promising thing to you for you to say. Is this a hint as to what we might be reading next time?
1: Yes and no. Uh... <laughs> I have had a long, good, hard thought about what I wanted to read off the back of this book. And although I am fascinated by the sequel, I am forever one desiring a bit of variety which is the spice to life, my friend. And there's another book that's been sat on my shelf, which I think I'm now in the right place to engage with. Okay, okay. And I think you'll appreciate it when we read it. I've not read it before, but it's been sat there for a good old long while. Okay, what is it? Geordie, do you remember last year, we, uh, for the medium of literature, we went on a journey back to the past, to a particular battle siege we went back to troy we did indeed and i want to revisit that era Mm. i want to revisit troy with you except i want to revisit through very different eyes so i think now it's time for us to read the silence of the girls by pat barker okay okay
0: you know duncan unfortunately uh the will of destiny is immutable and um, sometimes, much like a chosen one, we don't have a choice about what course of action we make. No, you are going to read Children of Virtue and Violence. I'm playing my token. Oh, come on. No, I'm doing it. And I've also decided they should be called Destiny Tokens. Okay. I can't believe I didn't spend this on Scholomance. I've been resisting for so long. But I, I really I just need to talk about the next book. And I really enjoyed this episode and talking about it with you. So I'm just more excited than ever. If only, Duncan, I'd had a boring episode, as I frequently do. I hate doing this
1: podcast. Then I wouldn't have played the token.
0: But I have, and I will, and I shall.
1: Okay, but this does not count as, your, as my pick. You're playing your token, but this is yours. We're getting science of the girls in two weeks' time.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that's fair.
1: All right, then. We will do the sequel you will regret this in the long run i don't know maybe
0: (laughs) yeah you have more tokens than me i think you have two right
1: i do indeed just you wait mate i'm gonna save up until i have about 14 and then i'm gonna just binge the wheel of time time.
0: no i I don't know if that's true though because i think because of the structure of the way we've just set this up i don't think you can do that right like because it's gonna jump back to me oh i guess you just spend another one yeah okay wheel of time it is but before we hit the wheel of time, or even before we hit the silence for girls and revisit Troy, and now I realize that I think we have like three more Troy books that you've said you want to read, right? Before we do that, we will be revisiting the sequel to Children of Blood and Bone, Children of Virtue and Vengeance, not Violence. I don't know why I keep thinking that. Duncan, how are you feeling right now?
1: I'm feeling like you've disappointed so many people that you didn't play your token before I gave the intro to Silence of the Girls. They were all so excited, Geordie. You're like, just inventing people. Seats. Like,
0: oh yeah, don't, don't didn't you know? Our audience is just full of big Silence of the Girls fans. They're always hounding me about it on Instagram. You wouldn't know, obviously, because I'm the one who has access to the Instagram, but I
1: promise you, our DMs are just full of these fans. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> I need to... Ch- you don't want know what our DMs, is, <laughs> that's right, that's
0: right. hot singles in Duncan's All area. Right. But speaking of that Instagram, if you have thoughts about Children of Blood and Bone or its sequels, question mark, there might be, there might the, the last one might have come out by the time you're listening to this episode. In which case, please tell me more. Is it good? I want to know. If you have thoughts about these books, please send us a message at our email isviciousfantasypodcast at gmail or on our Instagram
1: isviciousfantasy podcast did i get it right you did get it right when did this swap when did you start doing the social call cool? that was my uh, role. yeah i mean you're stealing my position guys <laughs> so when he played his token he took the book exactly. away exactly i, feel so, my, my of, I feel so full of power.
0: I feel so full of power
1: uh like always if those opinions about this book series or any book series that we have read or maybe be going to read night <laughs> times the girls do send us <laughs> in as well it's great to hear from people at any time literally ever it, when people message me it, it lights up the day honestly mm. it's a glorious moment all right thank you geordie for finally playing your destiny token that has been noted that is off i don't the table. have any more no more so green rider now. or scholomance for you i'm so powerless i'm defenseless
0: do you like the name destiny token though
1: i think it's better than you forgot to read the book on time tokens
0: yeah. you almost failed but like we didn't read this in the episode but Duncan I think it was literally 40 minutes before we started recording that you finished this book
1: oh I was listening it to on times two at that point and there was a a a moment I listened to about 30 minutes of this book on times 2.5 it wasn't I could have have gone another
0: one I could have got another one it could have been delayed to tomorrow
1: I did it it all went in as this episode clearly (laughs) proves I really enjoyed this book I'm actually am quite excited to read the next one Good. So until and then, I don't expect
0: the third one any time. It's been delayed like four times now.
1: Oh my god! So joining the grandest tier of fantasy writers, then never finish your series, guys. it's yeah. all about. I can't wait to talk about this. Oh. I mean, I gotta read the book next, but hey ho, here we go. I've been Duncan Nickel.
0: and I've been Jordy Bailey. Wait, we swapped that one as well. What's happening? Bye. Bye.